Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got the business stories behind stocks and move. I'm Corey Johnson. And because today is August 20th, we've got episode number 79. Well, just ahead, Elon Musk unveils a humanoid robot coming from Tesla next year. Or is it? Plus, what does the nationalization of semiconductors mean for one of the biggest makers of semiconductor fabrication equipment? And how are big companies borrowing money without issuing bonds? We've got that incredible story from Horizon Technology Finance CEO, Robert Pomeroy. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms. But when you do, hit that subscribe button to catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We'll explain the business stories behind stocks on the move. Joining me as always, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, what are the three most important developments in the world of business today? Corey, let's start with Apple. Apple, again, delaying its return to office date, this time moving it from October to January. The reason, of course, is the continuing spread of coronavirus. Apple would give employees at least one month's notice before asking them to return to to their offices. Apple had been one of the first major companies to push back its mandatory return to office date as the Delta variant was starting to fuel a surge in cases. Apple's company, Apple companies' offices and retail stores are going to remain open, though. Uh, yeah, that seems to be the story, and you can sort of see it in the streets of San Francisco, at least. I don't know what it's like down there in L.A. I was in an office in Oakland this morning. The receptionist said, I asked her how things are going. She said, well, it's starting to slow down again. Yeah, and you're seeing these reports around the country of, new of again, bare shelves in grocery stores and department stores. I don't know if you're—I haven't seen that personally, but I have a lot of family in the Midwest and Southeast that they're seeing, like, empty shelves at a Costco, empty shelves at a Walmart. Uh. So— be on the lookout for that. All right, now let's get to T-Mobile. T-Mobile says the hack of its user database exposed another 6 million customers' details. Uh, that brings the total number of compromised user records to more than 54 million T-Mobile subscribers. Those T-Mobile customers had their names, addresses, birth dates, and phone numbers exposed. The company also identified another 667,000 former clients who had some of their personal information compromised. Now, attackers with this information about a person's subscriber identity module or SIM can uh, use this information to impersonate a victim and take over his or her phone line. So think about how that works, right? You've got the dual factor authentication with say, I don't know, your, your TD Ameritrade account or with your power bill or, or your credit card, right? Where you get an email and then they say, okay, we're going to double confirm this by sending a text to your phone. Well, if they've hacked your email and now they've got the SIM card with your connection, they can get your accounts that way. There were an enormous amount of cyber people in the crypto world who I know 
who were hacked in this very manner where they got the SIM card numbers from their phones. And uh, the result was that they were, uh, they had their bank accounts cleared out. It's pretty terrifying. Also, well, I should also mention that it's really, you know, this isn't just current T-Mobile customers. Lots and lots of people who just applied for T-Mobile accounts, gave information, never opened right. an account. Right. Those accounts were stolen. And so this is something uh, that a lot of, and T-Mobile has not announced anything they're going to do for those people. Yeah, there's a lot of open-ended questions with this story that I'm hoping that we get clarification on, not only because I'm a T-Mobile subscriber, by the way. So it's very frustrating, this story is for me, personally. Uh, let's move on to Bill Ackman. Hedge fund bill, billionaire Bill Ackman plans to return proceeds from his $4 billion SPAC. Ackman had launched the largest Wait, deal. this is an amazing story. Yeah. He raised $4 billion to do yeah. a deal. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? Well, he launched this largest deal of its kind with the aim of taking a massive company public, but he's changed course in the face of a lawsuit questioning the vehicle's legality. Now, this move represents a further retreat. If you remember, we talked about this a month ago, at least, uh, after Ackman's Pershing Square backed away from a deal to invest in Universal Music uh, after failing to convince the SEC that the deal met the rules for such SPAC vehicles. Right. I think he he said he was going to make the investment anyway, just with his fund, but it wasn't going to work with the SPAC. Yeah, they Super did it in the traditional way, right. Leave it to Bill Ackman to try to find a different way to do things uh, that would advantage Pershing Square's investors and, part- and limited partners. But uh, I, his, he's endlessly fascinating to me. Well, I mean, there's a reason why he is this billionaire investor that we all pay attention to. So, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? I want to look at a little company called, and I'm now going to pronounce it this way, Tesla. Okay, why are you pronouncing it Tesla? Because the CEO calls it Tesla, so I might as well call it Tesla. Why do I think it's called Tesla? I mean, that is how it's spelled. It does have an S in it, yeah. An S is pronounced an S. Although he also refers to things that are unprofitable as profitable and things that don't exist as existing. I take it back. I'm calling it Tesla. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. All right. So Tesla shares, T-S-L-A shares, moved slightly higher today, and they've gained 69% in a year. What's, What's new with Tesla or Tesla? Tesla had an event called AI Day after a long delay of a three-hour event that started 47 minutes late. Uh, They revealed many things. Uh, Interestingly, a thing called Dojo, uh, an artificial intelligence computer that they say they use inside of Tesla, and a Tesla Dojo chip that they intend to make, a semiconductor. Pretty interesting. How do you you spell Dojo? How do they spell it? Um, It's spelled... uh, D-O-G-O. D-O-G. Oh, oh, okay. No, like Dogecoin? D- no, I'm just kidding. It's D-O-G-O. D-O-G-O. I was thinking Dogecat. No, D-O-J-O. Excuse me. D-O-J-O. Dojo. Like Dogecat. Nice. In any case, <laughs> during the company's AI day, they said that they're, they also announced a humanoid robot. And they said they're going to have a prototype ready next year in 2022. Uh-huh. The Tesla bot, they say it'll be friendly. Sure. Tasks sure. Sure. <laughs> Boring and repetitive and dangerous. Uh, uh-huh. Elon Musk says it'll do chores for you, like fetching groceries or fixing cars, or uh, it'll have some things will have profound implications for the economy. So again, he says, it's, Wait, it's this, robot. This, this dojo, this, this humanoid Tesla is going to walk or run or drive a car to the grocery store for me, go shopping for me, and then bring the groceries home? Apparently. In a year. Next year, it's going to have a prototype ready. Uh-huh. They didn't have the prototype ready for this event. 
Oh, shocking. shocking. Now you were at, let me ask you a question. You were at the, the semi day when they announced the, the giant semi, the, the electric semi that was going to uh, be on the road in uh, 2022, I believe. That um, is correct. I was okay. my employer's representative at that event. Sorry, was, uh, they said it was going to be on the road in 2029. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you two questions. Is it on the road? I don't believe so. Okay. Uh, let me ask you another question. <laughs> when you were there, did they bring one out? They bring it down out of prototype? They did. They did. Okay. They, okay. There, there was, it was a huge, like a rock, it was like a rock concert. And there was this uh, massive unveiling. They drove the truck into this hangar where they'd set up, you know, stands where all the people are and the employee, Tesla employees were shouting and being happy. And, and, and Elon was treated like a rock star, like he is at all of his events. It was yes, uh, well, very it, surreal. It was very yesterday's surreal. Yesterday's event was no different. The difference was they didn't actually have a prototype out there. What they oh. had was some dude in a robot suit literally dancing the robot. What? For like a minute and a half. I'm kidding you not. You've got to see the video on YouTube. It's it's outstandingly weird. And until Elon at some point is just like, yeah, yeah, okay. And then he gets back on stage. But I want to review what happens at these events. So, at, well, let's listen to what Elon had to say, actually, as soon as he's trying to quiet the robot, returns to the stage and talks about it. Now, unlike Dojo, unlike Dojo obviously that was not real. Uh, so Dojo is real. Uh, the Tesla bot will be real. Um, but uh, basically, if you think about what we're doing right now with the cars, uh, Tesla is arguably the world's biggest robotics company because our cars are like se- semi-sentient robots on wheels. Um, and with uh, the full self-driving computer, essentially the, the inference engine on the car, which we'll keep evolving, obviously, and uh, Dojo uh, and all the uh, neural nets, recognizing the world, understanding how to navigate through the world. Uh, it it kind of makes sense to put that onto a humanoid form. Um, they're also quite good at uh, sensors and batteries and uh, actuators. So uh, we think we'll probably have uh, a prototype sometime next year uh, that uh, is, basically looks like this. Um, and it's intended to... Um, uh, be friendly, of course. Um. <laughs> that's that's convincing. Yeah, that's but really I, convincing. I, just, I don't know why people believe this stuff anymore. I mean, I, I, I don't. You, we've talked about this in our morning meeting today, and and you guys are accusing me of being opinionated, and it's just a statement of fact, right? You saw a semi truck and saw them say, and it was the lead story in all the business news reports all over the country, including in the newspapers. Mm-hmm. That they're going to have a semi on the road, an electric Tesla semi by 2019, and they didn't, uh-huh. and they still don't in 2021. When uh, when they had a press conference uh, on autonomy day in 2019, they said they would have level five autonomy, full self driving by the end of 2021. Well, that's not happening. When they announced a 500 mile uh, range. Model S Plaid, they canceled that before it even shipped in 2020. When uh, on a conference call, Tesla, uh, when Musk himself, he said that the EPA's test that found the range was under 400 miles for their Model S. He said, well, they made a mistake. They left the car door open overnight and the keys in it. Well, it just wasn't true. The EPA said that's not, that wasn't true. We did a test. It doesn't do 400 miles. When they said they were going to have a $40,000 cyber truck available in 2021, it's 2021. It's August. That truck isn't happening this year. They said there'd be 1 million robo-taxis on the road by 2020. That's not happening. Have you seen a robo-taxi yet? I have not. No, because there aren't any. 
I mean, you know, when they were trying to acquire a solar city, they put fake solar panels on a fake house, on a desperate housewives uh, set. And that's now part of the lawsuit when they're being sued for fraud. So I don't know why people go to these events and report on these things as if they're actually going to happen because they repeatedly do not happen. It's not an opinion. It's just like, I mean, my, People, like, it's so cool if this is true. It's not true. It's a guy in a suit dancing around, dressed like a robot, doing the robot, but there's no robot. It's so strange. I mean, it's just typical, though, of this year. I don't know. Of course, this is the way it is in 2021. But I have to say, from my limited experience in this space right now, like, um, and yeah, pun intended with space, SpaceX, like, when I was in that, was I was in the the journalist pool at that semi event. Yeah. One thing that I walked away with, and that I reported about what I reported back to our employer about after the event was just that this was just com- filled with complete sycophants, fanboys. Fan yeah. All the journalists in the pool that I was in on that particular event, at that particular event, they were all just fanning out. It was like they were trying to get a soundbite from their favorite rock star. It was just. Well, let me Bizarre just to me because we're promise, all supposed to be journalists. And so make a promise to the drill down listeners. Yeah. You're not going to find an Elon Musk fanboy sitting in this chair. Oh, well, we, one last yeah. thing. I mentioned <laughs> the event started 46 six minutes late. Well, you know how we have our favorite soundbite of all time? We, yeah. we love you, Bitcoin. From Jack Dorsey. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we might get a new one. The 46 minute late a uh, AI event last night. Uh, Elon finally arrives on stage, announcing that they'd had technical problems. Hello, everyone. Uh, sorry for the delay. Um, thanks for coming. And um, sorry, I had some uh, technical difficulties. We need AI for this. We'll need AI for this. Isn't I'm sorry, but isn't he the one that also has warned people about the dangers of AI and robots? And now he's out touting this, like, I'm going to make a humanoid robot. Like, hey, man, takes one to know one. <laughs> Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at applied materials. Applied materials, AMAT, A-M-A-T, fell over 1% today, but they've gained 99% in the past 12 months. Something tells me we're about to talk about semiconductors. You love it. Um, there's been a lot of discussion, oh, you're right, about semiconductors both on this show and in the world of business yeah. right now. Yeah. And one of the things that, uh, in a new way that's being discussed, and I've been covering semiconductors for uh, decades, um, is the, a lot of discussion about the supply chain and the notion that every country that uses semiconductors might need to manufacture those semiconductors. And this interesting notion of nationalization could mean really great things for the biggest suppliers of the machines that make semiconductors and applied materials is as big as any of them. So applied materials and announcing earnings today, they showed some fantastic growth, but I thought it'd be really interesting to kind of get behind the numbers and look at what was really going on with nationalization. And if in fact we will have semiconductor hubs all over the world and the company kind of tried to play it both ways. They tried to say that they're still doing a lot of development in the places they have been doing development, not least in China but also that there could be other places like Silicon Valley, like upstate New York, where they've had some semiconductor manufacturing, a lot of semiconductor manufacturing, and maybe they're about to have a lot more. Here's AMET's CFO, Daniel Dern. There's tremendous pull uh, across many different regions, U.S., Europe, Asia. And, and what I would say is that 
certainly it's important from a uh, supply chain continuity to have more regional capacity. I think that's a big uh, area of focus. But personally, I think even more important is having not just physical infrastructure or manufacturing infrastructure, but innovation infrastructure. And if you think about the infrastructure that's going to enable this multi-trillion dollar uh, digital inflection, it really gets back to, uh, as I talked about earlier, edge innovation, cloud innovation, everything in between for power, performance, cost ahead of others. So, you know, as I, you know, I, I, we certainly see an opportunity and, and that is moving forward relative to uh, physical infrastructure and, and regionalizing capacity. Uh, also, certainly for applied, the United States uh, and many governments, having those foundational technology puzzle pieces for innovation uh, to win this PPAC-T race of the future is incredibly important and and certainly Applied uh, is in a position where we're, we're going to continue to invest on top of what we've already done in the United States with the Made in Technology Center in Silicon Valley, the Meta Center in New York. Uh, but this is the race of our lifetimes, and this innovation infrastructure, I think, is another key aspect of what needs to happen uh, to win the future. So really interesting from these guys with the notion that, yeah, there's a new kind of war to build semiconductors going on all over the, the world and that Applied Materials is deeply involved in that in lots and lots of ways. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at Foot Locker. When's the last time you were at a Foot Locker? Um, well, I don't want to reveal my age, but it's definitely been many decades, <laughs> many, many decades. I uh, was still living with my parents, so... There we go. Uh, Foot Locker. Foot Locker trades under FL. Shares rose 7% today, and they've gained 114% over the past 12 months. I, I'm, I, have, I don't know even when the last time I saw Foot Locker. Where, where are they? Well, so Foot Locker's all over the place, but they've also got some other brands and some other stores and companies that they've acquired lately. Okay. And it's really helped them out. So they reported a quarter today where they had $2.3 billion in sales, up 10% year over year. Um, and, uh, you know that kind of nicely profitable business as well for the quarter. Um, and as you mentioned, the shares up 7% today. I thought mm -hmm. was really interesting was the acquisitions that they're doing. And they're doing different kinds of acquisitions. They acquired a particular company called WSS and a company called Atmos, a Japanese online sneaker company that has really nice margins. You know, Foot Locker was doing kind of mid single digit profit margins uh, for the last few quarters. But with these acquisitions and other things they've done to fix their business, They've seen the, their, their margins pick up, and these new acquisitions are lifting their margins. So margins is the big deal here. Can they buy these companies, WSS and Atmos and more, to pull up their margins and connect with that sneaker culture of those cool companies like Goat, where you can go get your Travis Scotts for $2,800 or whatever those sneakers cost right now. Listen to CFO Andrew Page talk about how Foot Locker's margins are benefiting from these acquisitions that are no longer in the single teens, those margins now uh, in the low, or single teens, single digits, now in the low teens and even mid-teens for, for margins. You know, the margins that I reflected for WSS and at most, those, think of those are um, kind of the business unit margins that we expect them to continue to run. Obviously, those business units will be um, rolled up into the regions that they operate in, but the margins that we gave you 
uh, are what we expect those businesses to run in their um, in their discrete operating verticals. Right now, you know, going into uh, the pre-acquisition, we're we're looking at similar margins now, uh, low double digit to, to um, mid teens for those businesses right now. We expect to be able to um, continue to um, to have those businesses run at that margin and hopefully be able to contribute to um, driving them up even more. So interesting stuff. All right, coming up next, we're going to look at uh, the borrowing of tech companies with a really interesting financial company called Horizon Technology Finance that acquires pieces of loans from big tech companies and does some interesting work there. This kind of applies to all companies, uh, both uh, borrowing money and what's going on in technology. We're going to have the CEO, Robert Pomeroy. But first... The Drill Down is brought to you by Indeed. Here's a big question for every kind of business. When you're hiring, how do you know who's really best for the role? Save time and screen for quality candidates with the skills you need with Indeed assessments. When hiring gets hard, you need Indeed, the job site that makes hiring incredibly simple. Just attract, interview, and hire. In fact, with Indeed, you can do all of your hiring in one place, even interviewing. So don't just hope for the perfect candidate. Indeed's hiring tools will help you cut through the noise to hire faster and smarter. In fact, Indeed Instant Match provides a list of quality candidates whose resumes are on Indeed the moment you post a sponsored job. With Indeed assessments, choose from 135 skill tests to make sure you're finding applicants from uh, who are, have got the skills that you need right then. You know, according to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. But join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Get started right now. Drill Down listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Drill Down. That's right, a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Drill Down. It's Indeed.com slash Drill Down. Offer valid through September 30. Terms and conditions apply. And remember to join the Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. Welcome to the Drill Down Podcast. We're lucky to be joined right now by the CEO of uh, Horizon Technology Finance, a very interesting financing company uh, that um, is focused in the biotech space. Um, And so we're uh, glad to have the CEO on right now. Rob Pomeroy joins us. Rob, uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, What does your company do? So I appreciate uh, the opportunity and uh, glad to uh, share some uh, facts about Horizon Technology Finance. So we are um, an asset management company. Uh, the, the underlying company, Horizon Technology Finance Corporation, is publicly traded as a fund. Uh, the management team and employees are all in a managed, separate management company. But our strategy is to make secured loans to um, developing technology companies in both biotech and uh, regular technology markets. Uh, and, and with that, we take good returns on uh, interest, as well as equity positions for some upside rise uh, on these uh, loans that we make. It's, it's, a, it's yeah. a super interesting strategy because it seems that you're somewhat concentrated as well. Uh, we are. I mean, the, the two markets we serve, uh, life science, biotechnology, and, and uh, technology uh, broadly uh, make up about half of each, uh, you know, of our portfolio. The subsectors in them are really interesting, and they've evolved over time uh, as new um, technologies come that are, you know, upsetting and changing markets. Uh, more so in the technology markets than life science, but 
again, we've been at this for a long time as a management team and as a Ryzen. And so we've seen a lot of uh, great, great technologies come and go. So it, 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 would I be safe to say the, the shorthand version of what you do is venture debt? That's exactly what it is. Uh, my partner, Jerry uh, Michaud and I, and as well as a lot of the members of our team really started this strategy back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, uh, before we formed Horizon uh, in the uh, early 2000s. Uh, venture debt is an interesting product because a lot of people yeah. think it, they, <laughs> they, 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 uh, they say, well, aren't you taking equity risk for, you know, middle market returns? And, and we say, no, we're, uh, we're taking uh, secured credit risk for enhanced returns. And so it's uh, over time proven to be a very, very good strategy. And it's, it's a product that has great value for our, our borrowers as well, because uh, we're providing capital that they can spend to develop drugs or, or increase their market share or, or introduce new products that is much less dilutive than taking a similar amount of capital from the venture uh, capitalists. And the venture capitalists like it too, because it saves their powder dry uh, to invest later at higher valuations. Well, uh, so the, there's, a, there's actually a raging debate on Twitter right now about this, about with some venture investors uh, and, and, and uh, entrepreneurs um, going on right now. And the notion is that venture debt's a horrible thing for a company to take because <laughs> when you want to do another round of financing, the investors in the next round want you to grow the company and get money to grow the company, not just to pay back an earlier investor who gave you a loan. What's your response to that? Well, I, I think uh, if you sort of described a scenario where the company is, um, the, the, the next investors are, uh, you know, not that, that there's not an opportunity to increase or enhance the amount of uh, credit available to them through the form of venture debt and in a newer round of debt to go with a new round of equity. So we, we uh, actually, that's a big part of our model is expecting that our loans will turn over sooner than the original term alongside the development of the company and additional equity raised. And so, whereas it's it's often the case that a new equity will come in, it, it directly Wait, can will I get not you repay can, the can debt. Can you restate because, that? Yeah, so- so well, Let me restate, say that again. If, 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 so if the company is raising a new round and it's at an up valuation and the company's progressing, uh, it's likely that the uh, will be refinanced out, not by the equity, but by a new debt offering to go along with the bigger capacity of the company. Oh, interesting. That, does that make sense, Corey? So, yeah, so, so we might you, have a, so would you we actually might have be a, the, the lender again? Would you be a lender we could. twice? We would love, would we would love to be, yeah. yeah, we'd love to stay in as long as we can. Uh, but some of our companies uh, mature and grow up so fast that they move to uh, the next tier of credit available. Uh, that is uh, bigger, uh, less expensive, uh, doesn't carry quite the same kind of warrant coverage. And so they can refinance us out with, with cheaper debt alongside the new equity. And although there's breakage costs associated with our debt, the company will have advanced very nicely and given up a lot less of the increase in value uh, that they've experienced than if they had taken the same amount in venture equity. Interesting. Now, when you, uh, and are you thematic in your investment process? Are you looking for certain trends uh, and taking bets along those trends? Yeah, you know, in, in markets, I mean, obviously we, we only get to do the deals that are available to us, but we watch the trends that you, that you talk about. Um, we like disruptive technologies in the technology space. 
And we like there to be some underlying enterprise value associated with technology, with intellectual property, with market position, with uh, strategic partnerships, those kinds of things support our debt very nicely. Uh, we do, in fact, follow very closely where the venture capitalists are investing. And so when they start to see something that, that they think is really intriguing, the money flows pretty quickly to that sector and the venture debt players will be right there with them. Yeah, it's it's an interesting um, it's an interesting model, right? Because you, you're essentially doing the work of venture capitalists. Are there certain venture capitalists that you tend to partner with, or are you kind of all over the board? Yeah, uh, we are more all over the board. Um, you know, I, I I describe it as uh, pattern recognition, Corey. What we're looking for is a good venture debt deal structure, support from the venture uh, capitalists, uh, the technology, the market things. Uh, we tend not to uh, have a just a, a short list of select VCs. And in the end, I think it serves us well because we're not beholden to them and in, in, on the one hand, because they feed us everything that they that they have. On the other hand, uh, it allows us to have a more diverse uh, portfolio. And you know, if, if the characteristics of what we think make a good venture loan are there, and the fund that is the funds that are supporting usually more than one venture capitalist in each of these transactions, you know, they tend to partner sure. uh, uh, certainly and, and partners, individual partners within firms, um, you know, are on different boards and different technologies. So uh, we're looking for the, the support from the VCs, obviously that's a big part of our underwriting model, but it's uh, it's a pretty broad list of the firms that we've yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to look at the your website and I see all the the, the firms that the you've logos. invested in. They really are all over the map, and and yeah. some of them are public. Are do you do you hold the debt until they're public or or, or and sort of stay in? Uh, so on on the life science side, uh, we tend to stay in. Sometimes we even come in after they're already public, because the public exit uh, IPO for life science companies is usually not an exit exit. It's a fundraising. Sure. And although recently some of these rounds and the valuations are getting pretty attractive, pretty nice, uh, we tend not to be paid out of the IPO proceeds in the life science market. In the technology market, usually we would, um, that when they get to that point, they would probably pay off the debt and then go to, as I said earlier, um, a little bit more traditional uh, financing methods, uh, lower costs than venture. Right. And I mentioned it because I, when I was looking, uh, again, going through some of your investments, one that jumped out at me was Mohawk Group, which is now known as Atirian. And our listeners may remember we covered them when they reported a really horrible quarter last <laughs> week, which may be painful for me to bring up to you. Yeah. But uh, a stock that's gone from, you know, $40, $50 a share to $4 a share in, in about yeah. uh, you know a year's time, six months time. Yeah, you're up, you're down, right, Corey? I mean, uh, but yeah. Hopefully so not. We, Hopefully just up. <laughs> just up, attaboy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we we were in the company before it went public, and it was a very interesting model. Um, their um, artificial intelligence uh, tools to help position products on um, you know the, the Amazon, and Amazon, the and so on, right? Really, really yeah. uh, something. Um, we've been paid out of that deal. That's an example of what you were talking about. Uh, we actually got taken out uh, of that deal, I believe, before they went public. We still own warrants and and that company. And so, yeah, it'll hurt at this price and we hope they, they come back. Uh, but we, and we mark those uh, equity investments to market every quarter. So. So let me ask Rob, as you try to identify the trends that you want to invest with, um, 
are there certain things you're looking for? Are there certain, or just kind of looking at, at deals that are financially attractive as they come across your threshold? Well, no, we, we, I mean, we, we look for, as I said earlier, you know, uh, uh, where, where the investors are, are investing is, is always a key to us, but um, we find, you know, we, we like, we, we, identified the sustainability market, you know, two or three years ago. And that's, of course, a big word that means a lot of different things to different people. But but areas where the new technologies and new products are uh, helping the environment or uh, are, you know, interesting in, in the way they deliver it, uh, traditional technology in a new way. And I'll give you an example. Uh, we financed a company called TemperPak, which has a... Um, is used to uh, replace a styrofoam basically in shipping around uh, for uh, you know meals that come by the box and this is a curbside recyclable product as opposed to uh, styrofoam and it it's uh, temperature retention qualities all of that and and it, but more importantly to us so so it's it's doing well while you do good or doing good while you do well whichever it is sure uh, you know, at the same time, it has good backers, uh, raised substantial amount of money, has uh, really good customers, uh, has really good traction. So we like the product and the technology and how well it's protected with its intellectual property. We like the fact that the product is helping, you know, the environment and the and we like that they have customers and we like that they have good support. And so our loan comes in, you know, in the $20 million range and allows them to uh, amp up their revenues, amp up their their marketing efforts, um, help finance the new plant. All of that is helping them, and it's a really good scenario for us long term. And generally not dilutive, depending on what the warrant coverage is. Uh, yeah, so you know, we often say we we will put up sometimes ten percent of the capital they've raised, and we'll take less than one percent of the company in um, in terms of equity from the warrants. Yes, they have to pay us back, and yes, they pay interest in the low double digits. But net, 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 uh, for as compared to taking similar amount of venture equity, uh, they give up a lot less to the company as they go from uh, you know, a revenue uh, level of fifty million to one hundred and fifty million with the use of our capital. Uh, so really they keep their example. lottery tickets. Yes. Yeah, and then we hold on and see what they do. Exactly. Super interesting. You must you must see so much interesting deals because you've got such a volume. Uh, more volume than you'd expect a, a typical yeah, we, venture capitalist. Uh, the pipeline rate. is very strong, and it's uh, it's exciting. We we made a concerted effort about a year ago to year and a half ago to really expand our origination. We think that's a fundamental uh, strength and and value of uh, Horizon as a company. Is the platform has, at, you know, actually has direct origination, and that comes from uh, a long history and reputation of being a good partner for the VCs, good partner for the management teams. And so we put a few more feet on the ground, open an office in Austin. We have added people in our California office. Well, I was going to ask you about that. You know, you're based in Connecticut, which is a hotbed for heat this week, <laughs> but it's not necessarily a hotbed for startups or venture uh, capital. And I wonder what advantage you think that gives you. Uh, I think other than the obvious that, that there are more uh, venture lenders headquartered in California than there are anywhere else, uh, and that, that gives us a, sort of a leg up on the East Coast, I, I, I think really this is a people and contact business. I describe it as you need two things to really succeed. One is um, market knowledge, and one is market access. And market access comes from the connections you make with the management teams and the venture capitalists. And so 
certainly you can do that better if you see them more often, but uh, we've been able to do it on both coasts for a long time. We've had a uh, California office since we founded in uh, 2004. So, Wait, in where Pleasanton. is that office? Is it in the heart of Silicon Valley? Or something? Um, okay. You know, tend Not to have the heart of Silicon Valley. <laughs> Even we though tend to have offices where people live as opposed to, um, you know, right next door to uh, Sand Hill Road, but it's. Uh, it's worked out well for us. Well, well it's such an interesting company. Uh, I'm glad you're sharing that with us. Uh, Rob uh, Portner, Pom- excuse me, Rob Pomeroy is the CEO of, of Horizon Technology Finance. We're glad to have you here on the drill down. Okay, up on the drill down, bite the one number that means a whole lot. We're going to talk about that return. The stock, of course, has done really well over the course of the last year, but about, call it uh, for the last full year, 40%, right, right along with the market. But the dividend yield in this company Pretty high, an interesting one. We'll tell you exactly what that number is when the drill down continues. The drill down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to our podcast every day on your smart speaker. So turn to your smart speaker and say, hey, Google, play the drill down podcast or hey, Alexa, play the drill down podcast. You can listen to us wherever you are. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. Do you hear that? My Alexa's playing the Drill Down Podcast. Alexa, stop. Enough already. All right, we're back with the Drill Down Bite. Thank you for your help, Alexa. Uh, With the Drill Down Bite, of course, the one number that means a whole lot the dividend yield for Horizon uh, is, is is healthy, Isaac. That number, 7.01% at today's share price. So uh, with a $350 million market cap, call it uh, interesting company, interesting yield, and they could see surely a lot of interesting deals. Yeah, I like, I like having their view into the marketplace. Very interesting. All right, we appreciate your time and listening to the Drill Down Podcast. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.